everybody welcome back to another edition of the untitled jeff gluck podcast i'm your host jeff gluck and i'm here at long beach with nate ryan from nbc sports uh, nbc sn just finished broadcasting this race so nate was out here and uh nate so glad you are here to join me always a pleasure thanks for letting me join you and uh sorry i messed up your mojo there with my mic check i just always because i'm whenever i'm doing a podcast i always have to like test levels right away it's just in my brain so i'm sorry i just screwed up your rhythm i'm gonna let you take it from here uh you know people i will have edited it out by the time people hear this so <laughs> they won't even know what you're talking Good. about but nate i'll tell you who didn't screw up today and that was alexander rossi because he uh drove a completely flawless race that was like what is happening here uh he won by 20 seconds so if that had been a nascar race uh, you, you talk about Twitter meltdowns. That would have been... Yes. <laughs> and uh, he won by the largest margin since Alan Sir Jr. in 1995. Alan Sir Jr., that was his sixth and final victory at Long Beach. Alan Sir Jr. is known as the king of the beach. Uh, he, was, he is the gold standard for this racetrack. And it is not by accident that Alexander Rossi put his name beside not just him, but Alex Zanardi, Mario Andretti. Sebastian Bourdais, Paul Tracy. There's a long list of multiple-time winners at this racetrack that is extremely prestigious, and we are witnessing greatness in Alexander Rossi. I mean, I, I am very, very high on this guy. I think you are too. But like, we—it's—it we, it was kind of fluky when he won the Indianapolis 500 in 2016 because he did it on fuel mileage, and he was a relative novice at that point in on ovals and to the IndyCar series. But he has really emerged, I think as the budding superstar of the IndyCar series. And today he stamped himself as a championship contender. Well, when he, when he races, I mean, you can just see like the guy is just a badass driver. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, he, he once, you know, I mean, it's been documented now, but uh, for instance, if he starts from the pole, if he has a good enough car to win the pole, he's probably going to win because he doesn't really make mistakes. He goes out there, he just does what he needs to do. Um, and he destroys the field while doing it. I mean, it's not like people didn't have a shot at him today. I mean, the, Scott Dixon started behind him, Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, and the whole race, he's like gaining time on those guys. Um, it, they just never had a, a prayer. I mean, the guy is like really, really good, and it's kind of fun when, I mean, NASCAR fans, again, it's, it's a completely different kind of racing, so you can't really compare, but... The, the same stuff that would make NASCAR fans flip out for the lack of entertainment value and, yes. the, and the boring nature of it is sort of uh, cherished and applauded over on the IndyCar side because it's like, wow, like you, you see that, that the driver is elevated on this pedestal. Yeah. Well, a couple of thoughts on this. One, one is that uh, an unnamed NBC sports colleague texted me right as the race ended and said, oh, I bet IndyCar fans are going to melt down Twitter uh, tonight, tongue in cheek, of course. And you and I spent a lot of time walking the course today and you would be hard pressed, I think, to find anyone who was upset by, by the margin of victory at this race. I mean, this is an event. We heard Chip Ganassi tell us that this morning. This is a marquee event for IndyCar. And I don't think you necessarily have to have passing 
it. I, well, first, you don't really expect passing at a streetcar race. It's just not really endemic to like what uh, that, that type of race is about. But if you and I walked around here today, beautiful day in Southern California. If you were here just to enjoy the race, I don't think it mattered that Alexander Rossi won by more than 20 seconds. I think you could sort of appreciate it. And, you know, just you know, beyond that, I mean, like you just said, Jeff, he he's whomping guys like Will Power, who might be the best street and road course racer ever. And he is doing it. And I spent some time down in turns 9, 10, and 11 a day just watching him. And I always talk about how I think it's difficult for reporters to tell when a guy really is is good behind the wheel because we don't race cars for a living and we don't understand all those nuances. I mean, you, you touched on it there just now. I mean, he when he he floats the car into the corner in a way that you can just tell is different from the other guys. He just, he is so in control. It's like it's effortless, but yet he is just pulling away every lap. And it's... It's hopefully people can appreciate it, even though there wasn't, you know, there were what, two passes for the two or three passes for the lead, and they all happened just during green flag pit cycles. Right, exactly. And and what you said about the event and walking around is actually what my my lead item is for my my top five column this week, and that is that it doesn't matter. And and I know it's again hard for those of us who are, are heavy in the NASCAR world. I know you've you've always throughout your career uh, balanced both because. You know, even when you got into motorsports, you were covering this race, for example, out in California. But for me, coming in from the NASCAR part of it and still getting used to the open wheel side, um, you know, you're sort of like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not seeing the entertainment value here. But when you're walking around this course, people don't care. They came to see different kinds of cars go around the track. They came to see them do cool things. You can change your vantage point. You don't even really know what's going on in the race at times. You're walking around, you're soaking up the sun, you're with your friends, you're having a drink, you're having food, you're looking at the boats, the cars are whizzing by, and you're moving around, you're, you're standing in one corner for a little while. Yeah, you know, and then and then a guy wins. Cool. Yeah, like, yeah. but you're not like, I'm not entertained because you, if, if this was an oval at NASCAR at Kansas or something, and a guy was doing this, you're sitting there in one place the entire time, and you're focused on the race the entire time. You're waiting for something to happen. That's not what this event, as no. you said, is about. A street course, a street circuit is about the event. And Chip Ganassi said it so great this morning when we had a, a session with him. You know, he said, I go to races every week, but I like going to events too. And, the, and th- there's, a di- there's a distinction. An oval is a very static experience, as you said. And, and you can change your vantage point, but ultimately you're looking at the same thing. No matter where you're sitting in the arena, you're always looking down at a track with four turns and an infield. And I'm not dissing oval racing. I love oval racing as much as I love street and road course racing. And they all have their own factors that make them entertaining watches. I mean, I've, I've said this many times. The, the season finale last year at Homestead Miami Speedway was one of the greatest races I've ever seen in NASCAR. And there's a lot to oval racing. But to your point, Jeff, I mean, when you walk around a street course like this, there's always something that catches your eye and not just like the yachts in the harbor or all of the people and all of the concessions and all the, the music and all the other stuff they've got going on. The bridges packed with people. It's also the action on the track. Even when you don't have passing, it's, what's fascinating about a course like this is it's so tight that it's amazing to watch these cars go even when they're single file when they're running inches from the wall on streets that are normally used you know tomorrow this will or in a couple of days this will be like rush hour in southern california same cars or cars using the same streets that these race cars just used and i think there is sort of like this marvel 
at like you know that we like as the human race can put together like this amazing event in the middle of what is normally used as just every ordinary day life and that to me is is should be appreciated and it's very cool yeah it's really special and um you know i i know we're not going to compare too much but um just because we can dream here as we were walking around today together just soaking up the atmosphere and i mean i one of us said to the other person i can't remember who but I mean, man, it, it sure would be cool if NASCAR could do something like this, no? I, I said on NASCAR America uh, the Monday after St. Petersburg last month uh, when the IndyCar had its season opener there, NASCAR needs a street race. <laughs> they have to do it. And I don't care if people are worried about it not working. First of all, it has worked. They ran on the streets of Los Angeles in the Winston West Series with stock cars 20 years ago. Last year, I went to the Toronto IndyCar race, and I watched Alex Tagliani and a bunch of other stock car guys run stock cars on the streets of Toronto it, and I talked to Tagliani and he said oh yeah you could you could do it you could do an expanded year cup race on these streets the Roval another example that's similar to a street course layout that proved Dustin Long did a story about this last year on NBCSports.com that proved that they can do it and yeah I think we're both in agreement I mean, what do we have to do to help NASCAR sign some sanctioning agreements here and get to the streets of Portland yep next hey hey I'm, I'm down I don't know if the people of Portland would be but I'm down all right, well, let's move on to uh, NASCAR now. We we watched the race together last night. and uh, At undisclosed location. Undisclosed location? That's correct. <laughs> Did you want to disclose the location, or are you going to keep it undisclosed? I don't know. You think we should disclose it? It's up to you. It's your podcast. Your call. We, we ended up uh, sort of backing into watching it with NASCAR, a NASCAR team owner who is also an IndyCar team owner. That narrows it down to two, right. and really it narrows it down to one. <laughs> right. We ended up watching it in his vicinity. Yes. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, uh, Chip Ganassi's um, cars didn't have a great night last night. Nothing really to write home about for him. No. Um, but, uh, oh, Kurt pushed it okay. Kurt pushed it right. Yeah. Thankfully, uh, Chip, so, yes, we, Chip Ganassi has this nice hospitality set up, like many of the IndyCar teams here do. All this huge bank of, like, nine tv screens flat screens probably all 40 inches and above it's and like they, being in a best buy with all the tvs there. pretty much pretty much and six of the screens were set to the cup race there was probably going to be no better shot of us finding a, a decent place to watch this in long beach and thankfully for our sake and perhaps chip's sake as well he was doing a drive-by down on pine street at some sort of it might have been a sponsor function or meet and greet when Kyle Larson had his moment in the Richmond <laughs> Cup race where he cut a tire pitted went back out cut another tire and then went to the garage and said I'm done. Right. Yes. And that, uh, as it turned out, was until the last 50 laps, really one of the only sort of notable moments of the race, aside yep. from Kyle Busch speeding, which you could argue that Kyle Busch speeding was the, was the savior of that race, because if Kyle Busch had not sped on pit road the way he was looking, he was going to completely dominate that race. And with sort of the lack of passing that we saw um, don't you think Kyle would have led like 350 laps or something? I, it seemed like it was headed that way. And if you looked at um, practice speeds Friday, he was definitely probably the best car on 20, 30, 40, 50 lap runs. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, he, you know, I, I heard you say that one of your Twitter followers was kind of joking that, oh, Kyle's getting bored. <laughs> he wins every week or he finishes first or second or third every week. So eh, I'll take a speeding penalty halfway through and see if I can make this up on a, on a track where, unfortunately, as you, as you mentioned, Jeff, Richmond has become more of a one-groove racetrack. And even though there was a very compelling finish, I thought the last 50 laps last night were great. You had the great three-way battle of Truex, Boyer, and Logano. But for the most part, and we heard Kyle and Denny Hamlin both talk about this post-race, it was difficult to pass. And I think 
they felt it was arrow related. And what what's interesting about it is that the I think you were actually the one that said this first or said something related to this last night, but you said that basically what what made the race uh, what hurt the race sort of for the 350 laps is what made it better at the end because they couldn't pass. Right. And so right. that made a dramatic finish because if Boyer had potentially sailed by Truex, cause it seemed like Boyer was a faster car then Logano had his shot and he was a faster car, but neither of them could get by Truex. Um, Truex obviously drove a great race. Let's not take that away from him, but yep. he had a little bit of arrow help because uh, it sounds like even Cole Perrin was saying uh, at the end of the race, well, geez, I didn't, I thought I was going to get past. I didn't, we didn't have the fastest car, but he was able to hold him off. Yeah. Thanks to the arrow stuff. It sounds like, <laughs> I mean, it's funny cause you're right. Like Truex deserves a ton of credit and that is a great storyline that he was over 80 in short track races, which is just, I mean, we all know how good that team has been on mile and a half tracks through the furniture racing days, but it just seems mind boggling that he has never still never won on a plate race. And we know he's, he's not the greatest plate driver admittedly, but short tracks, He's usually like he should have won Richmond, the playoff cutoff two years ago. And then NASCAR throws that questionable caution and he loses it to Kyle Larson. Um, Martinsville last fall, he should have won that one and raced Joey Glano cleanly and got the got bumped away uh, out of the way in the, in the last corner. So it was sort of, I think, redemptive for Truex to win this way where he did. I don't know if he drove the race of his life, but he drove very well. <laughs> and who would, who would say that he drove the rest I don't know. of his life? I don't know. I might have heard that somewhere. But he drove very well. And, you know, to your point, Jeff, like, it was very difficult to pass. And that combined with the the defensive moves that Truex was using, he was using every inch of what his car and tires would allow. He was able to pull it off. And, of course, uh, it, it keeps the JGR uh, slash Penske stranglehold on the Cup Series so far this year. They've won all the races. I think JGR's won six out of the nine themselves. Um, but... Penske's been right up there finishing, you know, close or winning. Uh, then you have SHR sort of as, as the next guys there. Um, I, I guess, you know, if we were going to guess on the good race poll, which we aren't because I already had to put it out this morning because I always do the poll the day after. So the poll's already out this morning. Okay. And there's already been uh, almost. I haven't looked. Does that not count? Oh, do you, just, do you want to guess and then I'll, I'll tell you how close you were? Yeah. Okay. Do that. Okay. Um, yes. I mean, judging that it was, it was 350 laps of okay, followed by 50 laps of pretty good yeah what would you think that equates hmm. to as far as the good race poll i'm terrible at guessing these because i, I don't do a good job of monitoring them weekly to, to have a good sense but i'll go 65 percent right now nate it's at 69 percent. oh okay so it's very close. close i was under you okay. have your pulse uh your finger on the pulse of nascar nation 69 percent. nice <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm you know the the texas race i believe was 69 percent and I knew it was going to happen when I tweeted it out. But the entire day, my Twitter feed was filled <laughs> it's with replies. just nice, 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 nice replies, nice over and over again, <laughs> like hundreds <laughs> of people. I, you know, I'd, I'd go away from Twitter 15 minutes. I'd come back, scroll through. Nice, 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 nice. So I'm, I'm really actually hoping that by the time this comes out or, or by the time the, the poll's over after 24 hours, that it's either 70% or 68%. <laughs> just so I can avoid all of the... I got to admit, that's one of my favorite Twitter memes. <laughs> Maybe only because as a 46-year-old, I understand it, unlike most <laughs> Twitter social media trends and memes. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope you don't get those, but at the same time, I think that's it is hilarious. Funny, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, you know, let, let's just... I want to insert one final thought here, and that's that we, we've been paying attention to the Masters, although we haven't been able to watch it. Uh, we 
paid attention to the Masters uh, this weekend because of, of Tiger Woods, and I think everybody on Twitter we could see was doing the same thing. Um, clearly, a transcendent golfer uh, in that in that case makes you pay attention. A transcendent athlete makes you pay attention and want to watch. Where you you typically watch the Masters, but everybody is going crazy over it because Tiger's in was in contention all weekend. So, you know, do you think if NASCAR was able to find that? a tiger not saying it has has to be necessarily a black driver but mm-hmm. whoever you know that that kind of pull of a star power could that draw similar eyes back to nascar that's what i've been saying for a few years jeff is that i think that is what nascar is kind of banking on that someone will emerge and it was clearly the the last 30 or 40 years it was dale earnhardt and then to some degree jeff gordon and a little bit tony stewart but i think you would rank them that way and Dale Jr. obviously but to me he's kind of paired with his father but to me Dale Earnhardt was the was the person most responsible for NASCAR's upswing through the 90s uh, and it was because he was a transcendent personality he was NASCAR's John Wayne and it's great when you have one of those but the the flip side is the reason they are generational transcendent athletes personalities is because they only come along one at once every 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years and and tiger woods i think is a good example of that with golf because i can remember prior to his emergence 21 years ago prior to 97 when he won his first masters i i remember a lot of people saying hey golf's in the doldrums like you know how, how do they fix this you know what when's the personality gonna emerge and then they got this like you said hugely transcendent charismatic magnetic excellent uh, African-American golfer in a traditionally lily-white sport. And um, it changed things. And, yeah, I think I think NASCAR is banking on somebody like that eventually emerging. And I think they should get credit. They have done due diligence in trying to promote diversity, female drivers. You know, we were talking about the other day. I thought Haley Deegan is an excellent example of this. She was on your podcast a few weeks ago. I mean, if she starts winning, she's got the personality, I think, to really break through. Yep. I think when when you're talking just now, I'm thinking of who who in the Cup Series now could be in that situation if they were winning. Because obviously, you have to win. Yeah, you can't just and be. I'd put Bubba in that conversation exactly. for that, sure. The, Bubba, Bubba Wallace definitely is the only guy. The only guy. Sorry, Chase Elliott. Sorry, Blaney. I think Bubba's the only guy that if he was in the situation where he's winning all the time, that he could draw in people. Because, and I'm not just saying it because he's black. It's because of his personality. He has the charisma and he would have the storyline to the fact that he is black to pull in some of the mainstream outlets, get people watching. I just think the whole combination, but I I think mostly the person he is, Mm -hmm. how charismatic he is, is what really does it. And same thing for Haley Deegan. The fact that she's a woman would be huge, but it would be the fact that she's a likable, charismatic woman. And you're assuming that she would be winning races. That's what the combination has to be it has to be multiple factors all playing into it but they have to win i really like the 12 questions that she did with you because i mean she's got this bubbly nature and this laugh that it comes across as really authentic and really genuine but yet still what she's 17 years old you can tell that she understands and she grew up in a racing family she grew up with with you know brian deegan teaching her a lot of things about i think the way you relate to media uh she was born to do this and I think she is ready to embrace that role. And if, if the success comes, I, I think the, the, the popularity naturally will follow. And I agree with you on Bubba. I mean, Bubba is maybe the brashest driver in the Cup Series. And if we could just 
get him. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen with Richard Petty Motorsports. No, um, no. Kyle Petty said that on NASCAR America a couple weeks ago. Somebody called into the Motor Mouth show and said, what's it going to take for Bubba Wallace to win? And Kyle Petty said, another team. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, I mean, says, yeah. if yeah. we can get Bubba Wallace on a winning, contending team, I think it could be, it's potential for it to be game-changing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Put, put Bubba Wallace at an SHR or a, you know, even a Hendrick-type situation, although I don't think he'd be a good fit for Hendrick the way that that might be entertaining though yeah, for, that, yeah. for that exact reason yeah, yeah. but um, yeah I think I think he'd have a much better shot at, at being a, a real game changer but anyway we can dream uh, in the meantime <laughs> Nate I appreciate you joining me for this double Long Beach uh, NASCAR podcast hopefully uh, you guys didn't mind uh, the IndyCar part of it if you're NASCAR fans I think you really should experience both of it because we had a great time out here And uh, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeff. And everybody else, I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.